0: Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. So today we're starting the new series Coastlands. You might have seen it on social media. You can just see Whitstable right on the top there, but there's no great picture of the coast of Whitstable really just it would be a very thin thing so this is just a representation that we are talking about the coastlands and we're going to be looking at how God has called us to bring new life to our coastland communities and over the next six weeks we're going to be looking at how we are called to gather, scatter, serve, share, influence and invite and today we're going to begin by looking at gather One of the most amazing things about the gospel of Jesus is the community that it creates. And this gathered community is part of the um, great reversal that the kingdom of God brings. We've said before that sin is like a life turned in on itself. A life turned tending towards isolation and selfishness. And this is a pattern throughout the whole of the Bible narrative. Of humankind turning away from God, turning inward, looking at themselves. Jesus enters the story. God incarnate, which is God in human form, steps into the narrative to make things very different. And he died for us and he's resurrected for us as the firstborn of the new creation so that we might have new life. And he welcomes us into this new story of grace. And when we realise that we can't fix ourselves and we we in turn receive this grace and everything changes... The sin, the fear, the pride that drove us apart from God is now dealt with on the cross through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that restores us back into community with God and with other people. The gospel creates a unique community, a unique gathering called the church. And Jesus is the head of that church, as it says in Ephesians And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And a word that's used for church throughout the whole of the New Testament is the word ecclesia, which means a called out assembly. And if I said to all of you now, come on, let's go down to the beach for a picnic, and we all left and we went there, and we assembled on the beach, you could say that that was an ecclesia. But Jesus doesn't call us to the beach. He calls us to himself. And so we become the ecclesia of God. And the church is called the called ones of God. Not just the assembled together in a place, but gathered around God. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, in the message puts it this way. (laughs) Okay, no, I'm just going to read it to you. God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation is available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honouring life. This new life is starting right now and is wetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people that he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. So the gathered community called the church is utterly unique. It's a radical community like no other. And why is it different from any other in society? But it's not gathered around a great cause, although there obviously is a great cause. And it's not gathered just in a great building, although this is a great building. See, what we're gathered around is the person of Jesus. That has to be the centre. And this gathered community is so different because in it, everybody has been made equal. Regardless of our background, our social standing, our race, however well we've done in life, how we've achieved... How much mess we've got ourselves into. There is no ranking, and Jesus welcomes everybody equally. And Jesus told many parables about the great equalisation that takes place at the cross and then coming about coming into the kingdom of God. And he was so countercultural when he said these stories. He talked about an upside down kingdom that would have really offended people at the time, it was opposite to what people were thinking. He told scandalous stories of landowners who paid a generous day's wages to those who'd worked for him from dawn until dusk. And then he paid the same wages to those who came and just did a little bit of work at the end of the day. That stories in Matthew 20. He challenged his hearers by saying, are you envious because I'm generous? And went on to say, the last will be first and the first will be last. And these statements are hard enough for us to hear today, but they would have infuriated the Pharisees, who saw themselves, quite frankly, at the head of the queue into God's kingdom. They thought that who they were and what they'd done was giving them a head start. To incense them even more, when he told the chief priests and all the temple elders that those classed as the worst in society, like the prostitutes, the tax collectors, they were actually going to be at the head of the queue if they accepted Jesus. They would be entering the kingdom of God ahead of them. It's like they had fast passes simply because they received Jesus and that message of grace. And those with religious hardened hearts who would not accept this message were relegated to the back of the queue. And that was a really difficult message because they would not repent and believe. So we see the ultimate demonstration of the community of grace that Jesus creates when he welcomes a criminal hanging next to him on the cross sure you all know that story. One of the criminals who hung there held insults at him. This is in Luke. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So this man had no opportunity to put his wrongs right, did he? He was at death's door, literally. But he's still forgiven and accepted and welcomed in because he recognised who Jesus was. He gave his yes to Jesus on that cross and Jesus said, you'd be with me. And that's really hard when you look at people who've done a lifetime of serving and loving Jesus, and yet they're all equal in the kingdom. If you accept Jesus, it doesn't matter where you do it on that journey. And this is what makes church a unique gathering, because as Romans 9.16 says, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. The gathered church is a community of mercy. Is that Romans? I can't read from here. Good. Romans 3. (laughs) Romans 3, 23 to 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This community of grace transforms our relationships from selfishness to serving, from brokenness to healing, from a life turned inwards to a life turned outwards towards God and not ourselves and towards other people. And we find ourselves in this great gathered community of messed up people, messed up just like we are. We find ourselves doing life with people that we probably wouldn't ordinarily mix with in our everyday life. We maybe not even associate with them if it wasn't for the person of Jesus. You see, left to our own devices, we tend to gravitate to people like us. But with Jesus, all of humanity is brought together in one big community, The church, you see, is God's best expression of the great reversal brought about by the cross. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's intent and his plan was that the church would be a living demonstration of what had been accomplished by Jesus. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? It would be the beacon of God's manifold wisdom, manifold meaning many different types in the spiritual realm. And we don't know a lot about the heavenly realm that Paul is referring to, but it is implied that every spiritual creature from the highest to the lowest would know that the church is the pinnacle of God's wisdom and eternal purposes, and it always has been. Nothing is ever going to supersede the church of Jesus Christ. It's a done deal and it's accomplished. So, next time you're lying in bed on a Sunday morning, you think, oh, shall I get up? <laughs> or is that just me? <laughs> can I have <be>, a joke? Joke. <sighs> can I be bothered to go to church? Whoever does that, you don't have to put your hand up. You can answer to the Lord. Uh, I want to give you a bigger church of why we gather because what church really is. So as we, as we gather, we show Christ's victory over sin and death to be real. As we gather, we stick a spiritual thumbs up to the angels. As Simon actually put here, when I, I have deleted it, but I'm going to tell you, which is a bit ridiculous now, but he put and a different kind of finger to the demons. And I was like, I'm not saying that. I know. He's not here to defend himself, but I can assure you that's what was, that was what was in the notes. So I deleted it and just put a spiritual thumbs up to the angels. But you get what he was meaning, the opposite to the demons. Moving on, anyway, <laughs> I swore last night I was not going to say that. <laughs> See what's happened to me, I've gone mad. Um, <laughs> anyway, as we gather as church, we display God's eternal purposes to the whole of creation. As we gather, we become a place of kingdom come upon the earth. And it's really important that we get this idea that it's a bigger story than just us coming here, than just seeing church as somewhere that we go to, somewhere we attend on a Sunday. We don't attend church, we are the church. The story we live in is the story we're going to end up living out. If our story is just some sort of religious weekly club that we come to on a Sunday to tick a box, then we will never live out the story that we're supposed to be. That the church is God's best idea for transforming our towns and our cities. It is not just about coming on a Sunday, guys, and I know you know that, but let's really be reminded this morning it's about us and living out the truth in our communities. The gathered church is the first deposit of the new heaven and the new earth that God promises us, it's the incarnation of God Himself into a community and is therefore a a witness of God's intent to that community. And when you think about it, it is quite mind-blowing that God chose us to do that. The fact that God uses imperfect people like me and you, I find quite staggering. And so many people stay away from the church because it's flawed and it makes mistakes and they've been put off because of the people in the church. And yes, it does, because we're all imperfect, But the fact that Jesus started the church with imperfect people like you and I should make us marvel at God's incredible grace. That God would use ordinary broken people, human vessels of his grace and then he would delight in it is amazing. He's proud of how his grace is like beating through our imperfect but redeemed life and then through his church and out to the people around us. The idea that God would use you and me is astounding. Because he could have spoken directly to the world, couldn't he? He could have done it many different ways. After all, he is God. But instead, he chose to use us. Like I said, these broken people. To showcase his grace to the whole world. That's quite a responsibility. It's a good job we've got him. And yes, community is really messy. Church is messy. It can be a hard place as we work out how to do life together, can't it? People are... People sin, leaders sin, we all mess up. But most of the New Testament is not a story of an idealised church that gets it all right, and you've only got to read one Corinthians to, to see that. It started in pretty bad way with imperfect people, just like you and I. And most of the New Testament is a story of Jesus using his followers to spread the love of God. And also after they overcome obstacle after obstacle. So it's all in scriptures. We're not doing anything unusual and this is still God's best plan. He looks at me and you and it's still his best plan. The fact that Christ chose to use flawed people to show his grace is not a sign of his absence and that he can't be bothered. It's a beautiful and marvellous thing that we get to play our part to demonstrate God's glory. And it's like the church, when it's functioning well in all its glory, it gives the world a front seat to the grace of God. I love that phrase. I read that this morning. That's mine. Simon can't have that. <laughs> the church in all its glory... I don't know who said it. It was on Twitter. The church in all its glory gives the world a front row seat to the grace of God. I mean, that's, that's amazing and frightening all at the same time, isn't it? It's a huge responsibility. But like I said, we have the Lord working through us to demonstrate his grace. It's not about us. So church is not just a place for us all to get together and have a great time, even though I hope we do, but that's not what it's about. Riverside does not exist for the benefit of itself. It exists for the redemption of the coastlands around us and for our communities and everyone living here. And just as Jesus stepped into the great story, we are called to step into the story of those coastal towns to be kingdom agents everywhere we are, bringing new life to the people we meet. We are here for the well-being of our communities to help usher in the great reversal of the gospel. The theologian Tom Wright uses the analogy of an unfinished Shakespearean play to describe the church's mandate. He invites us to think of the first four acts of the play that have been written as the story so far. So you've got creation to start with and then the fall as the second act when everything changed. And then the story of Israel. And then Jesus, obviously, is the fourth act. And then with the writing of Acts being the final fifth act that kind of starts us off and encourages how to do church, how to do life. It gives us clues and it gives us references that we need to pay attention to, how the end is going to play out. And we're then invited in as actors to play our part in that ushering in of the final chapter I wonder how that fifth act is looking in Riverside and in our coastal towns. We're asked to be consistent with the first four acts, though. We can't make it up. We've got to continue the story, continue the narrative, but also be innovative as we act out the unwritten fifth act in our town, in our coastlands. We are called to draw the threads of the play together in our context, where God's placed us. So we're helping to write the chapter for this area, the final chapter in the coastlands, being part of the renewal of all things. That's our job. Next week, we're going to look at how we are called to scatter, how we transform our communities by being God's presence, scattered out wherever we are in our jobs, towns, uh, homes, neighbourhoods. But we first need to become the people of God so that we can go out taking that presence. And it's the gathered Church that helps us become this Larger gatherings like this and smaller gatherings in the week are all part of us learning how to do community well in our homes with our friends. Here, wherever we're meeting, that is the gathered church of Christ. And that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews was passionate about the people of God gathering together. Um, In Hebrews 10, it says... Is that Hebrews? Yeah. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful... And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. That was already they were in the habit of giving up. Already. This isn't like written a few, you know, 30 years ago. This was quite soon after Jesus' death, and they were already in the habit of giving up, meeting together. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this is so important for us to be a community of believers So it is wonderful that we get to do this together and we can build each other up and we can grow as followers of Jesus. But it's not the only purpose. Our purpose is to go out and rewrite that, write the fifth act so that we can show people the love of Jesus. Because God's DNA is formed in us when we meet together. That's why it's so important. We start to become like Jesus and so we get his DNA, if you like, in us. We become the people of God And then we carry that DNA out of this building into our homes and our streets and our jobs, our colleges, our universities, our places of work. Everywhere we go, we carry that DNA. That's why it is so important for us to not give up meeting together, so we can be formed together. We've all been formed by the places we live in, but God says we are to undergo transformation, to be able to bring transformation. In Romans 12, verse 2... It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. We're not called to live under the pattern of the city or town he placed us in. We're called to be transformed into the people he wants us to be. So that we can become part of God's plan to bring his renewal and his new life. We may have been formed by living in these towns, but now God wants to form us. The hope is, the hope He instills in us, we can then carry out into our communities. But I believe the gathered church is and should be effective. And it should be effective at revealing God to the communities that we live in and those who are seeking. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he encourages them to expect unbelievers or inquirers to be in their midst when they gather as a church. It's not, it shouldn't be unusual for us to have people who just come to church, who have no faith whatsoever, who are just inquiring, and we need to expect that more and more, and to be aware that we're not all in the room are Christians, and I'm hoping that not everyone in the room is a Christian, because I want people to be on a journey and coming to church because they've been drawn by the Holy Spirit. That's our longing. He says, if they encounter a worshipping people living and declaring the truths of God, they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Isn't that incredible? That's what we want, to be a gathered church here, not just here, but when we are here, so that when people come in, we are so like Jesus that they say, God is really amongst you, and they want to believe. And that does happen, so be encouraged, it does happen In the worship, people are transformed and they cry and they know that there's a presence of God here that they can't find out there. So it happens when you talk to people. It happens when you demonstrate Jesus in the way you are. It does happen. So please be encouraged. You may not always hear those stories, but we do. There are many people who come into Riverside on a Sunday or whenever, actually, who don't know Jesus, but who do come and find him because of all of you, because of what you carry. Sometimes we get caught up on the question, don't we? Is, this, well, is church for us or is it for the unbelievers? And I think it's for both. And the Corinthian passage tells us it's for both. But if our gather times are centred around Jesus and his presence and the gospel, they can be very effective in the building up of believers and the gathering of non-believers. It can do both and there's no reason why it can't. But our gathering should be attractional to the world in that we welcome everybody in everything that we do and we do it to a high standard so that anyone who visits us can find our times together accessible and welcoming and understandable too. And this is why Paul says again to the church in Corinth, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? And Simon actually had an experience of that when he was on a journey of faith. He went to a church and all of a sudden everyone spoke in tongues out loud and he was like, what? And I was like, believe this is happening because it it wasn't normal but for some reason at that moment everyone did but that really put him off and made him think that everybody was mad quite frankly I had to deconstruct that in him (laughs) and it's really helpful that Paul goes on to say I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue See, he was saying it's really important that what we do doesn't put off those who have no experience of Jesus whatsoever. And we need to be mindful of that. Of course we want the Holy Spirit to rule and reign, and he can do whatever he likes. But we don't want to put obstacles in anybody's way so that they go out of here not experiencing Jesus, but thinking we're all a load of mad people. They may do that as well, but you know, we don't want to encourage it if we can help it. So Paul is saying, don't ever think that the gathered church is just for the believers. Always expect the unbelievers in your midst. And as we share the gospel in our gatherings and as we live out the gospel for those who come, then we can expect lives to be transformed. I think that's just part of what we should be doing. I hope that today has encouraged everyone to see that the gathered church is a wonderful thing and to to look at it maybe a bit differently, not just as a, a thing we come to, but a beautiful demonstration of God's grace in action and the fact that he has chosen us to do that is an amazing miracle and that we need to really take hold of that and say yes to God and say I'd have no idea why you've chosen all of us to demonstrate your grace to the world to our community to our coastland but he did and that's his plan it's his plan throughout the entire world that people will demonstrate demonstrate his grace we will be Jesus incarnate we will be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. A huge responsibility, but a huge honour. But it's something that we need to take seriously when we're thinking about what this gathered church is. Because remember what I said, church is a unique community, hopefully hallmarked by grace. Grace where everybody is welcomed by Jesus. And that's not what the world does, is it? We should be offering something that the world is not offering. There's not many places anymore where everybody's equal. And we have to fight for that in here too, because we're judgmental as people, you know, we're sinful as people, but there aren't many clubs or communities out there where everybody is equal. And we have to fight for that in here, that that is what Jesus said. Everyone comes to him on a completely equal footing. And it doesn't matter who you are in this world or what you've got or where you've come from, we're all equal. And that is the beauty of God's community and his church. So when God called you out of your previous life to follow him, he called you into this crazy community called church. He called you into his family and you were automatically enrolled into that when you gave your yes to Jesus. You became part of this body of people who are going to change the world, of which he's the head and we are the body. When we were at NLC, we watched a video that had been made, sorry, that's the National Leaders' Conference in January, called um, I See a Cloud, and it was really phenomenal. And I want to play it now, just to inspire you to see throughout history what has happened when communities get gripped by Jesus, gripped by the presence of God, and how that has changed communities So it's so important that we just remember that as gathered Church, we have a massive part to play in transforming these coastlands. It's not just about here on a Sunday or wherever we meet. It's about who are we becoming? How are we demonstrating the grace of Jesus and everything that he did? How are we demonstrating that to everybody that we come in contact throughout the week? As soon as we walk out the door, or if we're in here in the week, how are we demonstrating the gospel because we're in a unique community, the gathered church of God with a beautiful responsibility to be Jesus. So yeah, I hope you enjoy the video. Can we drop the lights, is the sound up? Are we ready to go?
1: There's a story in the Bible about Elijah that he believed for rain, though the sky was clear. He had his servant look again and again. Seven times there was nothing to see, but Elijah prayed and trusted and prayed. Then the report came back. I see a cloud on the horizon. I see a cloud. Did you hear about the move of God in the Hebridean revival? Where two old women resolved to pray and the land was changed. The church was dying with nothing to celebrate, but God broke in and moved. People far from God flooded in, farms and looms were silenced as people suddenly and strangely considered God. For a long time the sky was blue, but then they saw a cloud. It's amazing to think about, it encourages our hearts and that's all fine, but what about here? Could this be the time? Did you hear about the move of God in Azusa Street? where they preached about gifts of the spirit though they had no experience of them. Seeing nothing, they continued to believe and contend and then the spirit moved and the church shook under the power of God as tongues and healings broke out like a flood. The sky was blue and then they saw a cloud. It's amazing to think about. It encourages our hearts and that's all fine, but what about here? Could this be the time? Did you hear about the move of God in the Great Awakening? Where Jonathan Edwards preached the gospel to a dry and dying church. Famously, with no charisma and a monotone voice, he read from his dense theological notes. But the Spirit just fell. People shook and cried out to God under the weight of His presence and the conviction of sin. And it rippled through America as the church was changed. The sky was blue and then they saw a cloud. It's amazing to think about, it encourages our hearts, and that's all fine, but what about here? Could this be the time? Did you hear about the English revival, where Whitfield and Wesley travelled the land preaching the gospel in open air to crowds of 50,000 at a time? The spirit moved, people responded in their thousands, and the nation was literally changed. Did you hear about the move of God among the Jesus people? Where surfers and hippies met and responded to Jesus in their thousands. Did you hear about the move of God in Toronto? Where people started shaking and falling over under the power of God. Where airports had to charter more flights to accommodate the people and the fire just spread through the world. Did you hear about the move of God in the first century? Where Peter preached and 3,000 responded in a day? Where the church exploded under the worst persecution? Did you hear about the move of God in the Welsh Revival? Where Evan Roberts travelled through the Welsh Valleys preaching the Gospel and over 100,000 people came to faith? Where pubs were emptied as people responded with glad hearts? Clear blue skies with nothing to show, but then someone saw a cloud. it's amazing to think about. It encourages our hearts and that's all fine. But what about here? Could this be the time? God, our hearts are hungry. Our need is great. We've gathered together to call on your name. We feel the poverty of our attempts to build. Nothing means anything unless it is filled with your presence, with your power. Oh God, let this be the hour. Because unless you build the house, we toil in vain. And so we cry out again and again, Oh God, how we long for rain. We're desperate for you. And though the sky might be clear with no cloud in sight, we'll stand in hope as we watch the skies. We'll keep on looking again and again, keep on seeking, keep on praying, keep on listening for the sound, for those words. I see a cloud. Come like a flood. Come like torrential rain from above. Come move among us with power to save. Drench us, stir us, don't leave us unchanged. God, would you come and do it in our day? And oh, that somebody about us would say, did you hear about that move of God? It's amazing to think about. It encourages our hearts and that's all fine. But deep down, this is our cry. Oh, God, let this be the place. Let now be the time.
0: Wow, wow, wow. Isn't that incredible? Oh, just that's the third time I've seen that. And it's like, oh, what about here? Could this be the time? Wouldn't it be incredible to see an outpouring of God in these coastlands like that? Those are just a few examples of how God has moved in history. Wouldn't it be incredible to be part of that move of God, to be ready as a gathered people for that, to be crying out, to see a move of the Holy Spirit that's unprecedented, that goes down in history, that sees a swathe of people finding Christ, finding Jesus, falling on their knees. It's happened. It's not something that we haven't seen or heard about. We might not have seen it, but we've seen it on there. It has happened and I believe it's going to happen again and that we are part of that story. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening.
1: If you would like to contact us about this talk to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit
0: riverside.